Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When it says take hold, it's using that word, like I said, chazak, seize, be strong, conquer. It's a warfare word that God's using here for a person who has this holy anxiety of not being saved from his sins. Holy anxiety comes from not having peace with God. Not having peace with God. That verse 18, it should be the verse 18, the man will not be in rest. God says what, he, what to do. He said in Isaiah 27.5, Isaiah 27.5 says, or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. See, God says that the person who's not at peace with God needs to take hold of the strength of God. Again, that word chazak, he needs to fight to take hold of the strength of God so that he can make peace with God. Holy anxiety over not being saved, that's a good thing, and that should drive to an immediate action referred to in 2 Corinthians 6.2. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, for he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation, have I succored thee? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, when it says those words twice, now, it means it's really serious. It means now. It means now. Anybody in this room who has not made peace with God, and you know in your heart of hearts, you've been playing, you've been acting, maybe you've been play acting, but you know you really don't have peace with God. God says, fix it now. Fix it today. Don't be passive. Holy anxiety, and it's described in verse 18, the man will not be in rest. It's a good anxiety. That anxiety should not be blocked. It should not be shut out by the mind. There should not be chemicals given. When a person is anxious, two chemicals are made in the brain called neurotransmitters. One is called dopamine, the other is called serotonin. And there's an epidemic of anxiety in our country. And some of that anxiety is holy anxiety, it's good. But all the doctors, they don't recognize holy anxiety, which is why one in six people are taking antipsychotic drugs, chemical straitjackets like Prozac and Seroquel and, and Ablify and, and Risperidone or Risperidol, which alone, that one alone, Johnson Johnson's drug has $5 billion in sales. And what these, many of these drugs do, they block the actions of dopamine and serotonin by blocking the receptors for them, which means they induce a chemical passivity. I mean, the treatment for holy anxiety is making peace with God. But if one in six people in the US are taking antipsychotic drugs for all their lives, it's not like, you know, you take this temporarily, then we'll get you off it. No, all their lives. And they're blocking these receptors that cause the anxiety. These drugs induce a state of chemical passivity. These drugs block the holy anxiety. Drugs block holy anxiety from being lost, holy anxiety from, from not having peace with God. That's not something to be passive over. When a person feels holy anxiety over being separated from God, he's gonna fight 
to search for God. He's going to fight to find God. You know, I want you to think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. He felt a holy anxiety before he died, and that drove him to seek the Lord and ask the Lord. In his last moments of life, he was saved. In his last moments of life, heaven's door was opened up to him. What if he were given Ativan? What if he were given Ativan for his anxiety, which is typical here, typical here for people who are dying? What if he were given Ativan? See, it's a holy anxiety, which is a good thing to feel afraid over. It's good to feel afraid over Isaiah 59.2. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's a holy anxiety to fear being separated from God. It's a holy anxiety to fear Hosea 5.5. Hosea 5.5, I will go, God says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and they seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. That's a good thing to feel anxious over till they acknowledge their offense. That's man's job. And seek my face. That's man's job. Till they fight, till they seek my face. That's man's job, to find the face of God. Holy anxiety drives a person to fight in search of God. It drives a person to fight to find God. And that's why God says, you do fight in Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek, and that's the word bakash, you're gonna fight, you're gonna fight. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. There's a whole, now, those, that's a holy anxiety, and I've been talking about the lost and the unsaved there. And so, okay, fine, we're gonna put that off to one side now. Now we're gonna talk about a holy anxiety for believers, there is a holy anxiety for believers. It's a holy anxiety, and you can see it in Ezekiel 22.30, Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, and I found none. And then Isaiah 59.16, Isaiah 59.16, God says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor Therefore, his arm brought salvation. See, God is very concerned over the sinful state of our world and over the fact that sinners are going into destruction of hell. And God wants us to stop. He wants us to take an active role in stopping sinners from going and being destroyed in hell. That's, he wants us to do that. And God's call to us is be a hedge, be a gap. Stand in the gap, stand in the hedge between an angry God and a sinful man. That's the work of intercession. And God is looking for people who will take him seriously over this matter of intercession. What does it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean to be an intercessor? When it says to stand in the gap, it means stand in between God and a particular sinner and to plead for that sinner. It means for us to confess the sins of that sinner and to say that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be there too. Confessing the sins of others is the work of an intercessor. Daniel was an intercessor. Think about Daniel. He was a man who was, looks not sterling. He's going, he's opening his window, he's praying, he's getting thrown in the lion's den for it. Sterling. But Daniel, in chapter nine, Daniel chapter nine, verse five, he says, we, including himself, have sinned and have committed iniquity and done wickedly 
and rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts, from thy judgments. Daniel 9, that was Daniel 9, verse 5. Now in verse 8, Daniel 9, 8. O Lord, to us, to us, he's including himself, belongs confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. In verse 11, Daniel 9, 11, Yea, all Israel have transgressed the law, even by departing that they might obey thy voice. Therefore, curses poured out upon us in the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against thee. In verse 15, Daniel 9, 15, Now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, has gotten thee a renown as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. He's saying himself. He's including himself. That's intercession. Intercession is confessing. We see Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he's doing the same thing. Oh, Jeremiah, he's all throughout the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter three, verse 25, 325, he says, we lie down in our shame and our confusion covereth us for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers from our youth even unto this day and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. And Jeremiah 8, 14, 8, 14, is he, he says, again, he says, we have sinned against the Lord. Jeremiah 14, 7, 14, 7, he says, though our iniquities testify against us, he says, our backlightings are many, for we have sinned against thee. Jeremiah 14, 20, we acknowledge, O Lord, 14, 20, we acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against thee. And then he writes a whole book called Lamentation. Who writes a book called Sorrows? You know, but that's what he does. He writes a whole book called Lamentations in chapter five, verse seven, Lamentations five, seven. Our fathers have sinned and are not. We have borne their iniquities. And the next, Lamentations five sixteen, five sixteen. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us, we have sinned. Isaiah does the same thing. Isaiah, as we already said, in that chapter 64 is when he really gets into it. He says, we have sinned. He's talking about that. And King David he says in Psalm 106, verse six, we have sinned, our fathers, we've done, we committed iniquity, we've done wickedly. Nehemiah, he was big on this. Nehemiah chapter one, verse six, Nehemiah 1, six, he says, I'll confess the sins of the children of Israel. We have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. I mean, what would it be like if we were to narrow in on a lost person and we were to confess the sins of our friends? And that's what this intercessor does. He confesses the sin. And the intercessor, here's what the intercessor does not do. The intercessor does not say, I thank thee, O God, that I'm not like him. He's really made a mess of his life, but not me. See, that's the opposite of the heart of an intercessor. That's the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, ah, even this publican. See, when he says, I am not, he has no compassion. When he says this publican, he distances himself from him. When he says extortioners, unjust, adulterer, he says, that's not me. When he says this publican, he doesn't bring him into his heart, and he, so he's just praying with himself. No, the heart of a true intercessor, the heart of a true intercessor, you see that in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is like a true intercessor. It says in Luke 10, 33, Luke 10, 33, a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where this man was who was all beaten, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. He didn't just look at him and say, but he went, he did something, and he bound up his wound, and he poured oil and wine, and he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And they, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wound. He sought his healing, what he could do, and then he put him on a beast, 
his own beast, so he identifies with him. He, he doesn't say, oh, no, get away from me. He doesn't do that. And he brings him to a place where someone else who he knew could and would take care of him. An intercessor sees in his own heart the kernel of every sin that he sees in others, including homosexuality. And the Bible says about each one of us, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There's not one that doeth good, no, not one. And that describes all. And families especially, they need to unite in this goal of seeking the spiritual healing of the lost. You know, it'll heal divisions in the family. One time there was this boat, it was a merchant marine ship, and they had a cargo and they were traveling down in the ocean and there were two sailors, and they were on the deck of the front of the deck of the boat there, and they were really duking it out. They were fighting with each other. They were fist fighting on the deck of the boat. And all of a sudden, another sailor fell into the water, and the captain yells out, man overboard. And so those two sailors who were fighting with each other, they dove into the water together, and they rescued the man, and they were now rescuing a man. Some families are like the two sailors on the deck of the ship. They're fighting with each other, but because they, they don't have the goal. They don't hear the captain of the universe saying, man overboard. Go rescue him, he's perishing. So there's a good anxiety, there's a holy anxiety of the intercessor, and that's really described in verse 18, the man will not be in rest. And we can see this good restlessness, this holy restlessness, this holy anxiety, when you look at Paul in Romans chapter nine, verse one. We just sang, come Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel, who lies here in lowly state. Okay, see, in Romans 9.1, Romans 9.1, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know, when a person says something like that, I mean, really, when a person says he's got great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart, then you know what? Most people, the doctors say, you need to go see the psychologist right now. I'll make the appointment. He'll give you a drug. No, but that's a description of a deep, restless, holy anxiety. It's a holy anxiety of the intercessor. When a person says, I could wish that I went to hell if they could go to heaven, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, that's a description of a deep, restless anxiety, a holy anxiety of the intercessor. That's a holy anxiety because it drives that person, as it did Paul in the next chapter, chapter 10, verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So that holy anxiety, the restless anxiety, drives a person to prayer. And when you think that a person is coming to God for the Jewish people like that, with that state, with this great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart, the point he could wish himself a curse from Christ, you think he's gonna pray something now, Lord, would you please bless the Jewish people today, amen, thank you. You think he's gonna pray like that? Is that really the expression of a deep heaviness and continual sorrow? He said, no, he's gonna be passionate. Some might even call him emotional, oh no. Emotional, <laughs> wow, think of that, that's terrible. All right, but the Holy Spirit drives this deep and continual restless passion as they saw in Romans 9, 1 and 2. So what he's saying there is that the Holy Spirit was driving it, this restless great heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart. We are, we are not living in a world of intercession. We're not living in a world of intercession. We're not living in a world of intercession that's being driven by a restless, great heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart. We're living in a world of chemically induced passivity. We're living in a world of chemically induced, great and continual passivity. And God's looking for intercessors who will groan. 
He says, can you groan from the deep heaviness and continual sorrow in the heart? I mean, God's saying, I want intercessors. I got a sign here. All intercessors line up here. Sign up. How well do you groan? How well do you sigh? And God called Ezekiel to groan and to sigh. He told him that in Ezekiel 21.6. Ezekiel 21.6. God said to Ezekiel, sigh therefore, thou son of man, with the breaking of thy loins and with the bitterness sigh before their eyes. And then he says, go find other people that are sighing and crying. And he said that in Ezekiel 9.4. Ezekiel 9.4. The Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abomination that is done in the midst thereof. See, this groaning, this sighing, that's what we see in the Lord Jesus. We see that. When he was in John 11.33, John eleven thirty three. 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. In John eleven thirty eight, 38, John eleven thirty eight, 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was the case. And then again, in Mark 8.10, Mark 8.10, straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came to the parts of Dalmanutha, and the Pharisees came forth, began to question him, seeking him from him, a sign from heaven, tempting him. He sighed deeply in his spirit. A true intercessor feels the lost. He feels the lostness, the lost, the deep need for God. This world needs God. This world needs a true intercessor who feels how the world needs God. The world's hostile to God. The world's hostile to God. The world's hostile to Christmas. The world's hostile to nativity scenes. How many of you are old enough to remember going down to Balboa Park in the Oregon Pavilion and seeing those stalls all set up, which was the story of his, don't raise your hand here because I want to see all of you, the story of Christmas and at the end the nativity scene. How many remember? Okay, that's a lot, good. Okay, you know why it's not there now? Because our city banned it. Our city banned the Christmas display on public property. Our city banned nativity scenes, and our city said no to Christmas nativity scenes in the city property. That's amazing. Two weeks ago, we had the annual parade of lights in Takati, where, you know, and we had, a, as we always do, Flatbed, a flatbed, and oh, it was beautiful. It was a large float, and it was a living, we did a living Christmas nativity scene. Our engineering department worked so hard on it. They made a hillside, it's beautiful. They made a hill, Bethlehem, with all the little houses and the lights, and it was just beautiful. And life-size animals they made, and oh, and they have a living nativity scene with our kids from the school, and a big bow over it, and then underneath, John 3.16, explaining, this was God's gift to the world. And by the way, for the first time in Takati's history, we have a woman mayor. Never had that before, a new mayor. And the new mayor, she came to us and she said, would you please set up the Scanabody nativity scene, the nativity display right in the middle of the town plaza of Takati for Christmas? How do you like that? So the city of San Diego says, no, we're not gonna have any Christmas nativity display on city property. And the city of of Takati says, we'll bring it here instead. (laughs) We'll have it, see? A true intercessor groans and sighs and has a deep heaviness and a continual sorrow for the city of San Diego that bans the account of God's gift to the world. So it's so common in churches, you know, to have these classes on evangelism or to teach you how to witness, you know. God's order doesn't start there. 
God does not start with how to witness. God's order starts with how to be a good witness. God's order starts with how to sigh, how to cry, how to groan, how to have a deep heaviness and continual sorrow, how to be first an intercessor. To be a good witness, a person must first be a good groaner. He's got to be a good sire, a person who really feels this deep heaviness and continual sorrow. Then he's going to be a good witness. A good witness is a person who speaks because his heart has been arrested. It's pressed, and there's a Greek word for that, sudeko. It was That word was used when the Lord was arrested the night he was betrayed in Luke 22:63. Luke 22:63. it says, the men that held sudeko, Jesus mocked him and smote him. And then it was also used of Peter's mother in Luke 4:38. Luke 4:38. he arose out of the synagogue, entered into Simon's house. Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was taken, sudeko, Taken with a great fever, it means in the grip of, they besought of her. Anyone here had the flu lately? You know what? And you feel like, when I get out of this, how do I get out of this? And how do I get out of this? You can't. You can't. Why? Because the flu has you in its grip, in its grip. As a matter of fact, the word in French for flu is la grippe, you know? And it means the grip. And in Spanish, it's la grippe, you know? Because you're arrested, you are gripped and you're not able to get out. And that's what's behind this word suneco. And so in Acts 18.4, Acts 18.4, he reasoned in the synagogue, Paul, every Sabbath, persuading the Jews and the Greeks, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, we just sung about, we heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. They came from Macedonia, and Paul was pressed. He was suneco in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. See, and then he says, Acts 4.20, Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And on and on, all through the book of Acts, Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God made the same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. In Acts 17.2, it's 2-3, it talks about how Paul was going about. It says, he says, as his manner was, he went unto them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. And so as he's standing back, Paul's standing back, and he's saying, you know what I did? I'll tell you what I did. He's saying in Acts 20, 20, Acts 20, 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I kept back nothing. I showed you. I taught you. I testified. That's Seneco. That's being arrested Micah 3.8, Micah 3.8 says, but truly I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin, his sin. This was how the Lord was described. He said, the zeal of thine house had eaten me up. He was totally consumed. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. All right, so now we're here we are on Christmas and we're studying about Boaz, who was the man that will not rest. And so how do we bring this home? Fine, this Christmas season, let's be like Boaz. Let's be like Boaz, who was the man who will not be in rest by asking God for holy anxiety. Give me, Lord, the holy anxiety for the lost around me. This Christmas season, let's be like Boaz as the man who will not rest by entering into, wanting to go into, and entering into a deep heaviness and continual sorrow for the lost. This Christmas season, let's be as Boaz, the man who will not rest by copying that good Samaritan who had compassion on the lost, who went to the lost, who really wanted to see that person healed. Let's have a compassion where we really want to see the lost heal from their sins. Let's identify with the lost by realizing that we have in us the kernel of the same sins that have imprisoned them. 
And let's take care of the lost by bringing them in intercessory prayer to the one who can do something like he brought them to the end. Bring them to the Lord who alone can heal them from their sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, not giving up. Thank you, Lord, for having the deep heaviness and continual sorrow in your heart that resulted in you coming to earth to die for our sins, being born on Christmas, and dying on Good Friday, being raised on Easter. Give us, Lord. Put us in sync with yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.